on this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion about sudden cardiac death and how AI can help identify those patients who are at risk. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal of Operations and Quality of Visient and Practicing Internist. Joining me on this episode is Dr. Alan Chan and Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Alan, Sanjay, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for having us. So, Alan, tell us a little bit about your background and your current role. Yeah, Tom. So, I'm currently the chief medical officer here at Medtronic under the cardiac rhythm management group. And prior to my life at Medtronic, I was actually a cardiac electrophysiologist full-time at Johns Hopkins. And how about you, Sanjay? So, I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist here at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute in Kansas City. So, I've been here about 11 years. I'm also the chair of our EMR optimization committee. And I also serve as a volunteer capacity on a cardiology steering board at Epic. And I'm the current chair. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. So Sanjay, let's start with you. You've been using the platform now for about six months. Can you share with us your experience using this particular platform for AI? Sure. It was interesting when this was pitched to me. I really didn't see a clinical need. I said, I know what I'm doing. I don't need somebody else telling me how to take care of my patients. And what was surprising as we got into it, this wasn't just another pop-up alert, which everybody is sick of. It was a way to actually try to really, in a very fine-tuned way, mimic the complexity of clinical decision-making and really use it to augment and find patients who otherwise would have fallen through the cracks. And I think as we've learned through this, what was really eye-opening to me is that our healthcare system is broken. We have the best of intentions. We will see a patient, we'll set them up for the right studies, but stuff happens when they don't show up or nobody calls them and things fall through the cracks. And then before you know that six months, a year has gone by and nobody ever got their follow-up study or their referral. And so this running in the background to catch all those people who fall through the cracks to kind of pin together our disjointed health system has been extremely helpful and very valuable. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. One thing that scares me constantly when I'm practicing, if I'm on the wards, is the constant interruptions that I get. And I try to explain to people that when I'm doing my note, I'm thinking. And if you're interrupting me, I may miss something, which has occurred. And the same thing in the office, patients are telling me three things at the same time. I'm just trying to negotiate my note and trying to put everything at the same time. So I would actually appreciate this, though I'm also very worried about just flag warnings and fatigue, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think one of the things that we learned that was really helpful to be involved with this was that we wanted to do something a little bit different than kind of the traditional alert, which pops up in the middle of your workflow and it's disruptive and you'll do anything just to get rid of it and just exit out of there too. And so the key, like with anything, is a sort of right place, right time, right information. And so we send this to them in their in-basket. It's a separate category. They can review it on their own time. It has everything they need and then has a very specific ask to just order this test or order this referral. And they can look at it and they can decide on their own time when they want to answer it. I think that's getting a little bit better. And I think why the resistance to this has been a lot less than other alerts that we've rolled out. I can certainly see the logic, but has there been any data or some studies that you can share with us? So the data of what it's done so far has been pretty astounding to me. Just in six months of having this Monday, we've reviewed 33,540 echoes, about a little under 1,400 were candidates for sudden cardiac arrest, meaning they had an EF that was low and they didn't have a implanted device, coming out to about 600 echoes every week and about 30 a week that are risk for sudden cardiac arrest. Out of those, we've sent 195 alerts, majority of which are for follow-up echoes, but several for referrals for device upgrades as well. We've had five patients who've gone all the way through and now have a device implanted that wouldn't have been done had they not had this alert in place. Yeah, Tom, I just wanted to maybe add something here. I think you and Sanjay sort of brought up a really important point. And what we've been hearing sort of more globally is that many of the experiences that we're talking about here in the U.S. are directly applicable in Western Europe, in Japan, and Australia, where there's just this deluge of data. And on top of that, there's this deluge of patients. And quite honestly, just the current system, to Sanjay's earlier point, really puts a lot of focus on just throughput. And in the past, these technologies and these platforms were, I would argue, nice to have sort of tools, but just 
given the, the environment and the milieu that we're finding ourselves in now, these are really becoming more must-have things. I agree. I actually could not agree more. Just with all the interruptions being overbooked, many of us are dealing with higher amounts of patients. Our patients are only older and sicker. We need this is what I'm driving at, particularly with some of the issues that our colleagues are having with burnout. Yeah, I think the thing is like with anything, like any new technology that comes out, like think of when GPS first came out, there was all these jokes about rerouting, rerouting, you'd miss an exit and you think, God, this is terrible. I mean, I can get somewhere on my own. I don't need this. And then now you wouldn't think driving across country without GPS, you'd be paralyzed to get anywhere without it. And like any new technology, the first hurdle to overcome is acceptance and people have to overcome their own resistance and their own biases toward it. But once they get more experience with it, then they build a trust and then it becomes an essential. So Sanjay, I'm a late boomer. I remember actually writing notes for quite some time, even as an attendee. <laughs> right. And you've mentioned that you're a part of the EPIC Steering Committee on Cardiac AI. Can you give us what you see as top of mind for future EHRs? Out of the various applications of AI, I think that part of what they're focusing on right now that's the highest priority is really looking at predictive analytics. I think that aspect of AI is the main thing. Epic has put a lot of work into validating and developing a sepsis score and looking at length of stay and looking at things that can help you identify patients who maybe are at risk for a condition that potentially could go unrecognized and of which time the recognition is the importance. I think that's where a lot of the effort of the EMRs has been to date. Where I think they're just starting to get into is decision support. And I think that really is the most powerful part of this. And I feel like when you can couple the two and you can say, okay, these are people who are at risk for something bad happening to them. And here are some best practices for addressing that care gap. Then you've got a powerful tool. And I think we're just starting to be on the upslope of that. That's just starting to kind of take off there. We're in the process of implementing a new decision support with Epic right now on anticoagulation. I think when we start to see more of this, I think that's going to really take off. And I think it should be a really exciting period in a few years. That is fascinating. Alan, what do you see as top of mind for HR? It's funny, and I'll take a step back, I think, to some of your earlier comments. I was also one of the late bloomers and writing notes when I first started as an attending and whatnot. And when Epic rolled in, it was almost sort of like, oh my gosh, yet another thing we've got to sort of struggle with or actually deal with. And in many respects, I think a lot of us, quite honestly, were hoping at the back of our minds that this would just be a fad, right? It would just go away, if you will. And I think one thing's for certain, as Sanjay pointed out, this is here to stay. And I think there's been a lot of value add to this platform in the way we manage our patients. I think the second thing that sort of from my vantage point I've sort of seen is that we've tried to leverage Epic and the data that Epic has to do some of those things that Sanjay was mentioning. And it's really, really challenging because I think in the truest sense, these EHR platforms really aren't databases. They're a place where you have a lot of information, but in terms of a bona fide data set where you can actually call out the data that you're interested in or search for it, that's not quite honestly the way it was designed. And it does call for some of these additional tools and these modules that you can bolt on and try to facilitate that decision process and identify individuals who you want to treat based on guidelines that's in front of you. I can certainly see that. So how does AI work with the hospital's EMR to identify those patients with sudden cardiac death? What we've done is we've worked with Empiric. We've developed kind of an algorithm based upon guidelines that we'll go through and we can really mimic the same thought process that a physician would go through down to the level of complexity where you have individual criteria that can be pulled out of a note. And so where you can identify patients who would meet criteria by guidelines, but for all sorts of really practical, important reasons, like they're on hospice or they refuse or they have an active infection or they are non-compliant with medicines, things like that, that we deal with every day that you don't see written in the guidelines, but are part of our decision-making. We can identify 
identify and triage those patients appropriately and really distill it down to really just those key alerts. So we try to minimize alert fatigue that way and then also validate sort of the accuracy of this as well for providers' experience with it is a positive one and they're less likely to just dismiss it. But ultimately, it's about finding those people that are going to fall through the cracks, getting them plugged back in, continuously running this in the background so that they end up getting all through the process. The older I get in my career, the more I start realizing to do things right, I have to realize that healthcare is a team sport. So can you tell us about the participants in your multidisciplinary team? Sure. We have our electrophysiology physicians, but we rely upon a small army of nurse practitioners as well that are really there to be in the follow-up and help us catch patients who, again, would be at risk of going through, and then our EP nurses. And they provided valuable input on kind of the design and provided feedback on this AI system. And I've told you, you should really think about this, or I had this one alert and I don't think this was a good choice. Here's what would have been better. And that's been really invaluable in kind of improving acceptance and really getting some real-world usability out of this. Alan Sanjay, thanks for the discussion. And to our listeners, you can contact Dr. Chang or Dr. Gupta at their email addresses in the research section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast at visiantinc.com. We've posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks for listening.